Welcome to Sinner Saint Sister. I'm Allison Sullivan, and this is a podcast about sometimes saving the world and sometimes just surviving in it. In the next hour or so, we will nurture our friendships, explore our joy, shake our fists, all while trying to serve our God, and most likely, all while wearing pajamas. I hope you hear something that lets you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Sinner Saint Sister. One morning, Silas broke my phone. It was sitting on the counter, and he knocked it onto our unforgiving Satio floor. The front of it shattered so that looking at my phone was like looking into a kaleidoscope. I looked over and saw the damage and smiled at him slyly. Whoops, I said. Oh, well. And he broke down. Not meeting my eyes, he sobbed into his chest and sputtered out the words, I'm sorry, Mama. I'm really sorry. Silas, I said, it's okay. It was an accident. He sobbed. Look at me, Silas. Do I look mad? It's okay. It's okay, babe. He walked over and hugged me, and I hugged him back. And then he went and sat on the stairs by himself a while and cried all alone, grieving my broken phone, his clumsiness, or maybe something different. His tears seemed complicated. Real quick, as an aside, I'd like to take a moment to prove that this is not a story about how cool I was when my kid broke my phone. I'll tell another story. I have about eight throw pillows, and I really love my throw pillows. I can't explain why, but they make me feel like a grown-up. Maybe it's because they match and kind of bring the room together. Maybe it's because in a pinch I can arrange them just so and feel like the house is clean and organized even though it isn't. Maybe it's because they give the appearance of got-it-togetherness, when actually having it together is certainly not the case. Whatever the case, I probably have somewhat of a dysfunctional relationship with about eight yellow pillows. And this is unfortunate. Firstly, because they're pillows, and secondly, because my kids' favorite pastime is to throw them at each other. Cleverly named those throw pillows. One night, after a stressful day, actually, I don't remember if it was stressful or not, but surely... Surely I wouldn't have done what I did without the catalyst of a crazy day. I walked into the living room to see the pillows all over the floor, and I collapsed into a heap and started moaning with perfect Nancy Kerrigan desperation. Why? Why? Why can't anything just be mine? I yelled. Why? And then I cried. I cried an ugly cry because there were pillows, pillows apparently intended to be thrown, on the floor. The three kids old enough to scurry around picked up the pillows with half-scared, half-entertained eyes darting to me and then to each other. If eyeballs could talk, theirs would have said, are y'all seeing what I'm seeing? Work faster, siblings, faster. So hear me. I am not the epitome of cool non-freakouts. I am the epitome of inconsistencies and lots of apologizing. Back to my phone. On this particular morning, my phone being shattered, It wasn't ideal, but it wasn't like it was the end of my story either. Certainly not the end of Silas's. And Silas found grace. I was touched that Silas was so moved that he needed to be alone for a moment. His feelings overwhelmed him, and he didn't want an audience as he went to go feel whatever it was he was feeling. He needed a minute. He took his time getting it together, and I was respectful of his space. When he collected himself, he came to find me and gave me a hug. Eyes squeezed tight. He was so grateful. We loved each other well the rest of the day. And the whole thing got me thinking. I've spent some time comparing my parenting responses when things don't go quite my way. Whether it's my phone being shattered or my pillows being strewn about. And it has recently occurred to me that if Silas knows that he's under grace... If he knows that for certain, perhaps he'll come to me more when he's shattered something or thrown something about carelessly. If he sees me as a safe place to land and heal, whatever his mistake, maybe his earthly mother will help him understand his heavenly father better, earlier, truer. Is there anything else more important? 
in preparation for a retreat that I host, I made a big wooden cross. I don't have many carpentry skills, and I'd never really driven a nail before. It was more work than I thought it might be. I found that I had to be pretty aggressive with my strikes. If I was going to get my job done, I had to really pound with intention. I was sitting on my living room floor driving nails into some two-by-fours, nails that, of course, represented my sin, and I noticed that because of the effort driving them required, I was getting kind of mad at those nails. And I thought, yeah, that's right. I was thinking about my sin, the hard ones, the subtle ones, the hidden ones, the life-changing ones, the silly ones, and I was slamming a hammer into them, driving them away, and the reason that I could aggressively own my faults, take responsibility for my ugliness, was because of the certainty of total forgiveness that happened on that cross. The only reason that I could go to those dark places and unearth the mess and offer it up and slam it away is because I know with certainty there is no condemnation in Christ. Truly understanding grace in what Jesus offers and that there isn't even any condemnation in my sin is the prerequisite to be able to be completely honest about it. If I know that I am blameless... I can go to the places that hold me back. And blameless doesn't mean sinless. Understanding that he has called me blameless allows me to dissect my sinfulness with true curiosity instead of shame. I can go there knowing he loves me. Exposure might be painful, but I'm convinced that just because something hurts me doesn't mean that it harms me. I'm under grace. Blameless, he says. In thinking about pillows and phones and actions and reactions and rage versus grace and that sweet morning full of tears and hugs, I could be wrong, but didn't Silas have a pretty big role in his healing? Silas full of sorrow. He brought me my busted up phone. Silas had to own it and bring it to me. He had to acknowledge it. He couldn't hide it. He had to grieve it. He couldn't pretend it wasn't so. He had to repent. He couldn't blame someone else. And then, those eyes full of tears? Please! Grace was so easy to pour on, lavishly. The next step was for Silas to accept my grace and move on a little freer. I've noticed so many times in the Bible the Lord asks something of us before he moves Moses was asked to lift his staff before the sea parted. The thousands were asked to sit before they were fed with only two fish and a few loaves. The blind man was asked to go wash before he was healed. The servant was asked to fill jars with water before they were turned into wine. Peter was asked to take the boat further into the lake and lower the net on the other side of the boat before it was filled with so many fish that they couldn't even carry them in. The man with the shriveled hand was asked to stand up in front of everyone before he was healed. Over and over, the Lord requires something, maybe just a little something, before he does something mighty. So often I think I am waiting on the Lord, but maybe the Lord is waiting on me, waiting on me to see his glory, waiting on me to admit that I'm powerless, waiting on me to accept his love, waiting on me to receive his forgiveness, and waiting on me to walk away from sin. The Lord is waiting to have a relationship with those he loves. He made the first move when he sent Jesus. But the move after that? And maybe my most important job as a mom is to encourage Silas to make the next move, knowing my love for him is already whole, as is my forgiveness. Those things are already his. In this episode, my friend Lisa Lloyd sits down with me to talk about the heartbreak of her abortion and how she experienced the love of God. She is brave and generous with the details of her life. As Christians, we believe that every human is created in God's image and likeness, and that is worth protecting, that is worth serving, that is worth sacrificing for. As Christians, we celebrate life. As I drove home that afternoon with Lisa... After our time together, I couldn't help but marvel at the power of God, all that he is capable of. 
And it occurred to me anew that many times in my own spiritual life, it has been desperation that best showcased his work. Him allowing me out to my furthest edge to just pull me right back in, sometimes even bringing me from death to life. From the book of 1 Corinthians, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. This is my friend Lisa. We've been friends for three years. She is as dynamic on the other side of the couch as she is on a stage. She speaks with thunder and brings a little bit of heaven to my earth as we search United. Hi, Lisa Lloyd. Hi, Allison Sullivan. How are you? So good. I love you. I love you. I think you're so great. Thank you for coming <laughs> here to see me. Um, I'm so excited to have you on. You were season one's kind of finale, talking about Christian unity. You and I met several years ago. We um, kind of quickly fell in love at a high school reunion, and then ever since then, I think, I, you know, we talk about this a little bit in that episode, but I called you up randomly, and you indulged me, <laughs> and we just had a heart-to-heart meeting, and our little hearts have linked elbows ever since. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I loved that. I loved your boldness to, like, call me and mm-hmm. say, hey, let's let's get together and see what God wants let's to do. just see. And here we are. And, you know, there's just kind of an ease every now and then when you meet a, a certain soul on this earth mm-hmm. where it's just easy. Like, I just love you. Mm-hmm. I just think that there's Thank a simplicity you. to our friendship. Yeah. Um, not to mention we're doing a lot of the same things. Right, right. We have both written books. Mm-hmm. Um, Lisa's book is Chasing Famous, and everybody should go right now and get it. It's It's so good, and it's so honest, and I love the way that Lisa tells a story and expresses herself mm-hmm. and shines light. Thank to the Lord. You. You're such a pointer. You. you are always pointing people oh, to God, to God, to God. Thank you. I think I that's because I struggle to do it myself. Mm. You know what I mean? Like mm. I struggle. It's easy for me to be focused on me, which mm-hmm. is not pointing to God, right? And so I just kind of assume if I'm struggling with it, then probably other people are struggling too. Mm. So let's see if we can get pointed to God together. You know, yeah. so let me tell you some stories of how I screwed up and not done it well. And <laughs> we make how so I learned. many much better friends that way. Yes, we but yeah, friends. yeah. Like, let me let me be raw with you yes. and tell you what a goober I am. And talking about the things we're bad at instead of bragging about the things yeah. we're good at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. People like you better. That's right. Um, <laughs> but you know, as we have, we were kind of writing a book at the same time too, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Um, what was a, like a memorable part of that experience or what's something that was either hard about it or something God taught you about writing a book? Oh, that I was, I felt probably like anybody who's thought about writing a book, like totally and completely inadequate, mm-hmm. you know, like I was like, yeah. I'm not, who like, am I? Yeah. I'm a speaker. I'm an actor, but I'm not a writer. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, yeah. Who am I? It kind of like Moses, you know, who am I? I'm not going to go lead these people out of Egypt. Yeah. Go find somebody else, yeah. you know? And then I just sensed the Lord was like, well, the, I'm, I'm not asking you who you are. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm going to be with you while yes. you do it. And so, so good. I had to really lean in my, in the middle of my inadequacy in writing a book, I had to really trust that God, if God called me to this and yes. he like gave me every single opportunity, gave me all these opportunities and gave me a publish and God did everything. Like I didn't feel like I did anything. God brought all these things to me. Then I could trust him to get this book written. Yes. And so, and a whole, a book about the glory of God through us became a book that was, God got glory through it, right? Because I, it wasn't about me. It was about God right. in so many different ways, even in the writing of it. Yeah. So he's not listening to us telling him who we are, but God, I'm this and I'm this and I'm yes, this and yes. I'm not this. And then he's not like slapping his forehead going, you're right. Yes, I am what such a What was I up. thinking? Yeah, somebody else. Who else is going to write this book? But Lisa, you're out. Next. Yeah. Thank goodness. You're right. right. He doesn't you're, listen to you're us. You're right. Because I think even even like with Moses, right? right going, the whole point of that was to use somebody who felt completely inadequate in this yeah. horrible space in his life. Yeah. 
to bring people out of Egypt to do this amazing thing. And then everybody was supposed to go not look at what Moses did, but look at what God did through Moses. And Moses is like, what the heck? And same thing with us. You know, God calls us to do these crazy inadequate or things where we feel inadequate. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, but I'm going to do it and get it done. And then everybody's going to point to me, including you, yes. Moses, including you, yes. Lisa, and go, look at God. Look at God. Let's point to God. Yes. Right? You know, the rut of self-addiction, I think, is the deepest rut of addiction that we can, like, mm. get trenched into is mm. self-addiction. That's making good. a practice, making a discipline out of being a pointer. Like, just that's keep good. pointing it back. Self-addiction. I don't have addiction. Oh, my goodness. Um, I am a victim. <laughs> oh. um, for me, writing a book, one of the hardest things was, um, I'm like, man... By the time, there's something about that published tattoo. Like, it's so permanent, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. it was like, what if I disagree with myself in two years' time? What if by the time this oh. is, like, all said and yeah. done, I've get kind of outgrown yeah. some of these thoughts? And I really had to turn that over to the Lord, that I am not going to shame you. I did that's, not call you to this to shame you. Yeah. Um, that's kind of, like, why I haven't gotten a tattoo yet, because I'm like, but what if I disagree with my statement later? Like, what if that's not? Like, I want to get a tattoo, but I'm like, wait, what if? Then you just what's that meme where that famous artist? What's his name with the puffy hair? Oh, I don't know. Oh, come on, we watched him when we were little, and like, you know. Oh, oh yes, yeah, yeah. Where he's like on birds. Yes, 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 yes. He's like birds. We'll make these birds. That's what you do with your tattoo. You yes. don't like it anymore, birds. That's. <laughs> That's great. I've, I've thought this through, Lisa. I've That's got a plan great. For you. Well, you've got a tattoo, so like, but your tattoo is beautiful and very ornate. It is not I going anywhere. I either. don't know what you would turn that into. Yeah, no, a sting on window. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Well, so another. So in addition to just loving the purity of your spirit and how well we can sit across the table and do this, and then being in similar work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are all these reasons that I admire you. And a big one is how vulnerable you are with your story. Mm-hmm. You take your story, you hold it with open hands for the glory of the Lord. Mm-hmm. I am not going to keep any of this for my, for my own self, mm-hmm. um, because it doesn't do anybody else any good that mm-hmm. way. That's what I was hoping for today mm-hmm. is that you could just take listeners, um, through the highs and the lows yeah. of how the Lord has worked in your yeah, life. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I've learned that like in the dark, my story in the dark is where the enemy works, right? And makes me feel shame and guilt and, and, but only if you had done this and if only you had done that, you know? And so I think that talking about our story, talking about my story has allowed me to kind of open the closet door mm. to my past and I'll allow the light of God to shine on it. And then hopefully yeah. other people can go... Look at God. Right. Look at what God did. So, you know, people yeah. talk about the light all the time. And I just like to even draw out an already simple metaphor. It's like in the dark, you're kind of feeling around. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm picturing like you, Lisa, mm-hmm. in this closet. And you're feeling around. You're like, what's this? I don't know. I mean, I can guess, but I don't know. Yeah. And, and you're, you know, and then it's like some light comes in. And you're like, oh, that's what this is. Yeah. I mean, isn't there just something to the recognition that light brings, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. (sighs) Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Okay, no, no. It's good. Um, So, yeah, I I remember coming to know Christ when I was like a little girl. And it was very, very vivid um, as like a six-year-old girl watching a puppet show in the 700 Club in my mom's friend's master bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) While they sat out in the living room and talked and I was, you know, babysat by the dancing puppets and dogs and cats, you know? Um, and I remember they asked, Hey, do you want to know, would you want to know that when you die, you're going to go to heaven? And I had grown up in a Christian home and, um, I, you know, I knew about Jesus as much as a six year old can know about God. But when they said that, I was like, yeah, I, I do want to know that I'm going to go to heaven. And they said, well, then pray this prayer with us. So I, I prayed right then and asked Jesus into my heart and went out and told my mom and I just, I was very vivid. I remember that. And I remember feeling this, I remember feeling the conviction of the Lord. Like I remember feeling, um, just as, as I would kind of go through school, like what, what would be the right choices to make? What would be like wrong choices and, and, and wanting to make the right choices and then being like, Oh man, but I made the wrong choice and God Mm -hmm. would want me to make the right choice. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so kind of, you know, feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But then, um, when I got into middle school, 
you know, like everything in middle school changes, you know, like you just, everything changes. Like my, my son's about to be in middle school next year. Mm-hmm. And I just I'm like, Oh, it all changes. Everyone in middle school is walking a fine line. I taught middle school for a while and I felt really empowered because it doesn't matter who you are. If you're cool, if you're dorky, yeah. if you're rich, if you're poor, if you're black, if you're white, it doesn't matter who you are. Everyone's walking a thin line where you can start making good decisions or bad decisions. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone's susceptible, yeah. like equally, equal yes. opportunity for evil. Yes. <laughs> in yes. School. And I think uh, the, the line also of pick me, choose me. I, yes. I want to be loved. Yes. Like, you know, and, and it's like, it's like you've been loved and you've kind of had all these, you've built these relationships in elementary school and everybody knows who you are, but then you get into middle school and it's these new people and mm-hmm. you, you now are no longer safe mm-hmm. and you've got to, you, you start over. Yeah. Choose me, need me, select yes. me, want me. You know, and, and then so, the efforts we will go to to belong. Yes. And for me, that was like, okay, I want to be loved. I want to be chosen. I want to be selected. So let me see if boys, will, will boys feel that void for me? And um, so I was kind of starting to like boys. And I knew that liking this guy and he didn't love God, but man, he liked me. So... Okay, you know, and, and so that just kind of, th- those kind of repet- repetitious decisions of making making decisions that don't line up with where God would want us, you know, can can lead us in, into sin, right? And so when I was 15, um, when this young boy that liked me, you know, wanted me to, you know, have sex with him, I knew what God wanted me to do. I knew what my mom and dad wanted me to do too, because that was, that was part of it too, right? Um, what, what my, will, will my parents be pleased with me? But, you know, will God be pleased with me? And and I know I should wait until marriage, but gosh. And so I just I just said, I said yes to him and lost my virginity at 15. And um, that began, you know, um, one one step in sin leads makes the next time easier and easier and easier. And I just yeah. slowly kind of walked away from the Lord and, and felt guilty, felt um, embarrassed with these decisions and just kind of thought I couldn't really it's too hard to go back. It's too hard to, to not do this life anymore. So I'm just going to continue in this kind of promiscuous life. Yeah. Can I interrupt to ask how was sex talked about in your home? How, what kind of education did you, how comfortable of a topic Mm. was sex Mm. in your home? It, it was not. I had, I had the sex talk one time. It was really awkward and strange with my mom. And then we never talked about it again. Yeah. I, you know, I knew I wasn't, I knew I was not supposed to have sex until I got married because that's the rule. But what I didn't know was how, was really why, like why, why did God make it so beautiful in marriage and why is it dangerous before marriage? And, and it not, it, you know, a sexual, sex, sexually transmitted diseases aside, you know, pregnancy aside, like. Like, why is this such a great holy thing? Why did God create this for just between a man and a woman? Mm-hmm. So that stuff wasn't talked about. So not having me. those questions answered. I'm just convinced that if we could make sex an ordinary topic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Instead of this taboo topic. Yes. I am just certain that we would live it out in a more healthy way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, make healthier uh, yeah. decisions. Yeah. So you didn't okay. feel like you could kind of jump tracks. This was the track you were yes. on. This yes. is the lifestyle yes. you were. And I think it was shame. Like I felt like this is who I am. Right. Mm. I felt like this is this not is a decision a dec- you made. Yeah. About a decision I made. And now this is who I am. And that's the enemy. Totally the enemy. Right. Who's who's convinced me that this yeah, he screwed up. Right. He he tempts us to sin and then shames us for the sin that we did you know mm-hmm. and so so here I am like this is who I am and I I can't get and these are the friends that I've chosen and this is where I'm going to land and I'm going to stay in this lane and you know and this is all I can do and be so 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 I kind of lived a lie because I would kind of do both I would kind of you know go to church and be mm-hmm. the good little girl that everybody thought I was and then and but then make this and, and even you know go to Dawson McAllister, you know, sexual purity conferences and, 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 you know, it's kind of this double yeah. life that I was living. That's stressful. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It's it like was. This, this facade yeah. creates, creates anxiety. Absolutely. What if I found out? Dissonance. Yeah. And then when I was uh, 18, I was graduated high school. I had just graduated high school. I was going to go to school in the fall um, to SMU and get my degree in theater and, I was ready. I was so excited, but um, found out one Saturday morning, early, early in the summer, that I was pregnant. Um, and I will never forget that. And I don't know if anybody listening has ever found out that 
you're pregnant and it's a, it, it's a crisis pregnancy. Like it's not a pregnancy that you are hoping for. Like that's, there is, there's fear in that. Like that you just, you can't even like explain it. Like you can't even compare it to anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like it was, I felt like what, what, what's the church going to think of me? What are my parents going to think of me? What, um, what, what is my, what is SMU going to think of me? What is my boyfriend going to like, he's going to be so disappointed. Well, shoot, he was a part of this, but he's gonna be so disappointed in me, you know, like, and it was just all, it was, it was so, so even though I knew that the, 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 anything, anything other than, than carrying through to have this child, anything else than that, like, like to have an abortion was absolutely would, was, is not, is not the great choice. It's not the choice that I need to make that was kind of what I was running to because that was going to be a quick fix to a, the most ginormous problem I had ever faced and probably would ever face in, in my life. You know, um, if we can just get rid of this problem real quick, real fast, let's be done. And then I'll just deal with the consequences later, but I don't tell my parents, I don't tell the church. Nobody has to know, you know? And, and, um, and I think it's, yeah. So, so I went to Planned Parenthood and, um, where were you when you took the test? How did you find out? Mm. Were you alone? Where? Yes. What was that moment? I remember leaving the movie theater. You know, these like moments in your life, you just, they're mm. still very, very vivid. These like mm-hmm. staple marks in your life. Um, so I left the movie theater and I went to the little, uh, Walgreens next door, some little, you know, Eckerd's, I think it was Eckerd's mm-hmm. at the time and got a, a pregnancy test. And then the next morning I woke up and I was in my bathroom and I had the doors closed in my bathroom because my room is such that you walked into my bedroom door and then through my bedroom into my own bed bathroom. And I closed the little double doors and I, and I, you know, did the whole, you know, pee on the stick thing. You're at home in your parents' house. Yes. Okay. Yes. And I, I just remember, I remember the panic, just the. Oh, just like thinking about it now makes me feel me so too. sorry for my, my, feel my heart, too. my poor heart. Like, oh, um, so that's, that's where I was. And I did both of the tests and they both came up, you know, mm. positive very quickly. And, um, I went, I went to the, to the plant, to Planned Parenthood and they gave me my options and I was saying, no, I, you know, I, I, this is, I have to have an abortion and my, my boyfriend was with me mm. and yeah, he came with me and, um, I made an appointment at the um, abortion clinic, um, because at the time, you know, now you can do the morning after pill or you can do, um, the, 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 the abortion pill where it's like a series of pills that you take to kind of create your own DNC, you know, but at the time in, you know, 96, like a surgical abortion was the only option. So I had, I had to wait a couple weeks, you know, and then I went and, the um, nurse had told, on the phone had told me, you want to drive to the back of the clinic because there's going to be some protesters out front this particular day that you've scheduled. So drive to the back so that we can meet you in the back and escort you in through the back door. So I drove my mom's, you know, blue minivan and had a Christian ichthus on the back, you know, and I drive past the protesters and I park in the back and um, I get out of the van and I'm walking to the back door and I see the nurse there at the back door waiting for me. And this man had seen me drive past and from the, uh, one of the protesters and he came to the brick wall and I couldn't see him, but I could hear him pleading with me, Allison, like, mm. please don't do this. Please don't do this. You know, mm. like, like God loves her. God loves you. And, 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 and we can help you and, and you don't have to do this and, and please don't kill your baby and please, please, please. And he was just begging with begging me. And you know, I've thought about him so many times. (laughs) Like I'm going to see him in heaven one day, you know, and I'm going to thank him for his passionate, relentless pursuit of me, Mm. you know, like Jesus, like Mm. he was, he, he, he couldn't see me, but he was pleading with me and wasn't going to give up until I walked through that door and made my own choice, you know? And, and what was so interesting about that too, is that Allison, as he cried out to me, I knew the Lord was doing the same thing because though I had made decisions that pulled me away from God, I still had the Holy Spirit in me this this whole time. I still knew what that God loved me and that I'd walked away from him, but but he want and I I knew what he wanted me to do. And so so this man's loud, audible voice was like the Holy Spirit jumping out of my chest, right? Mm. And pleading with me, mm. you know? 
but I walked in to the clinic and I, um, I sh we, you know, we went to the sonogram room where they looked to see how far along I was. And I laid down on that. I was on that table and, you know, in, in an abortion clinic, unlike like your gynecologist's office, when you're trying to get pregnant and you think you're pregnant and you're they're they're going to show you the screen, right? They got a screen on your left. They got a screen on the ceiling. They got mm -hmm. a screen over. There's screens everywhere, so everybody pictures can of see. babies everywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In an abortion clinic, you know, they they're not doing that. They're keeping the screen away from you because they are worried that you'll latch on, of right? Course. That you'll emotionally latch on. So she told me the sonographer said you're too early. You can't have an abortion today because you're not far enough along. We have to have, the baby has to be developed enough so that we can perform this abortion. So you're going to have to leave here wow. <laughs> and come back. And I knew, Allison, as I laid on that table in that very moment, that that was the Lord again, giving me another opportunity, right, to, to, to run into his arms, mm -hmm. right, as opposed to back into the clinic. And, you know, I wish that I could say that I left that clinic and just came to my senses and decided to, you know, carry the baby and either create an adoption plan or carry the baby and, and, and become a mom and, and, and have this baby as my own. You know, I wish I could say that I have like a 20-year-old child, but, but I went back to that clinic and, um, and had, the, had the abortion. Um, and I was on my bed talking with a good friend of mine a couple months later that same summer and this friend for years had had talked to me and 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 kind of pleaded with me and and spoke truth to me about God she loved the Lord and she was my age but she was trying to tell me all these years how much God loves me like and and mm -hmm. and try and and break me out of the shame cycle that I was in mm -hmm. and and Lisa's God's got great big plans for you, but but He needs you to leave this cycle, leave these this mm. railroad track of life that you're on, step off and get back on His track, mm -hmm. so that you can live this life that He's meant for you to live. And I don't know whether it was just the shame I felt or the difficulty of the idea of breaking up with a guy and leaving the security of that sure. that I didn't want to do. But I just always, you know, just shunned her and, and, and or, or pushed her aside, pushed her thoughts, to the, her words to the side. But as she spoke with me that night, you know, two months after I'd had this abortion, and she's saying the same stuff. Did she know? No. Okay. She didn't know. I hadn't told anybody. Only my boyfriend knew. Uh -huh. um, she sat there and she, uh, I take that back. My parents had found out. <gasps> my parents had found out um, at that moment when she was speaking to me, they had found out just maybe a week before. They had found the receipt to the abortion clinic in my room while I was off being a counselor at Camp Longhorn in Burnett, Texas. And they confronted me about it and I denied it. And even though they had this receipt, oh, you know, like Lisa. it was, so they knew, they knew, but, um, no one else knew. Mm -hmm. She didn't know. Um, but as she spoke to me that night and she was speaking truth to me and she was telling me with her words, what I knew the Lord believed about me and said, said about me, though I didn't necessarily believe it for myself. I believe I hadn't owned it. Sure. As she spoke, it was like the Lord reached down into my heart and, and just scooped me up. Like I remember feeling the loving arms of God just like wrap around mm. me in that moment. Mm. And I hadn't felt it in, in years, maybe even ever, you know, yeah. you know? Yeah. and, um, I remember feeling so sad for what I had done. Um, like guilty, not shame, which, you know, tells me who I am, but guilt over what I had done. Right. And I was, I felt so guilty. And I said to the Lord, you know, guilt is like, um, guilt is this feeling that happens about a decision and shame is about who we are. Yes, absolutely. And, and so they're that very distinction, different. Yeah, it's, yeah. They're very I, different. Yeah, I, I get that. I yeah. get how that would. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And, and guilt, guilt is there, there's reconciliation in guilt, right? Cause if I feel guilty about something, I, I, I want to confess it so that I can get back into relationship right. with that person. Like the other day I called Marcus, I said, I was an absolute idiot. 
you know, the way I responded to you, Marcus is my husband. Um, I responded to you in this ridiculous way and very selfish. And I'm so sorry. Why did mm-hmm. I do that? Because I wanted to be in relationship with him. I didn't feel yeah. shame. Yeah. I wanted it's to not be telling me anything about who I am. Yes. Yes. It was this action. Yes. And, and, wow. and, and then I, I get, I, I, I experienced the love of God. I experienced, I experienced the love of my husband and, and I know he's going to give me love mm-hmm. when I, you know, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so, I forgive you. Absolutely. Yeah. And now we're reconciled. So that's what I felt like the guilt over what I had done and, and, and a desire to be reconciled to God, you know, which I felt like that replaced the shame, you know, how much of that, that desire starts with that feeling of, cause we kind of concede these truths. Like God loves us. Mm. God loves his children. Mm. Okay. God loves me. Awesome. Don't Mm. so many times you feel just outside of his embrace where it's like, you're hugging all these other people, and yet somehow I'm outside of that embrace. And even if you are hugging me, it's probably, like, because you're God. Yes. You know, because yes. maybe it's like, but when it feels, not my children, but Lisa. Yeah. And that God is walking around with us, in love with us, not so that we will bring him glory. Right. There's no, there's no, like, if I love you, you will do this. It is just because he made us right. Just because we're his, Mm -hmm. like, just because he's infatuated with us. Like like he delights in it. Yes. (laughs) To sit, to sit, like I'm sitting here and like God, though I cannot see him, Jesus is sitting here and he's just like in awe of me. Not because of anything I've done, but just because I'm his, you know? Mm-hmm. And and that and here's the thing, that because I'm filled with that love and filled and like I am just because not because you saved me from this awful decision I made, right? But because you are infatuated with me. I, I am compelled to want to express that out yeah. in the world that I live in, right? Like yeah. it's it's love first and then the yeah, action comes absolutely. after I'm filled with that, right? So um so so good um so so yeah so then so this this desire to be in relationship with the lord like i am so sorry for what i've done can we be can we can we be friends again can Mm -hmm. can we be in relationship and i Mm -hmm. and and all of this is happening in like a millisecond Mm -hmm. but like i'm feeling the lord say yes Mm -hmm. yes Mm -hmm. like I, I am in like I've been I've been waiting for you and I am here for you and let's do this together and and I remember thinking can can we start over can we start over can I just start over and and feeling the love of God not that yes but or yes then you must but an unequivocal unconditional yes oh, you know so beautiful and Lisa. Allison I was changed in a minute like I was I and I no longer desired the sinful life that I was in. I no longer desired that guy. I no longer desired like to, to go back to, to sex, to, to be a way of, of getting love from someone. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't want that. I didn't, I didn't want I didn't want it because it was going to make God happy with me. I didn't want it. I didn't want, cause I wanted God and Mm -hmm. I knew God wanted me, Mm -hmm. you know? And it, I was, I've I've never been the same since Mm -hmm. that moment. Like Mm -hmm. ever been the same. I feel like it's happening. It's, you know, at some point in our life, you know, we get the, there's this information exchange where it's Mm -hmm. like, we are sinners. Jesus took on our sin and saved us from our sin so that we can be in communion with God. And it's not like that's no small thing. Uh That's a really big thing. So, so I'm going to pray this prayer and then, and yet there comes to this point in our faith where we go, there's more. Mm. There's more. There's something about accepting this love that's going to transform me. Romans 5.8, it says that God demonstrates his love for us. It's not, it's not just in my head, but that, but that I see it and I've experienced this mm-hmm. transformational love. And, and that it's not just that one time. It's that every single day... You love me like mm-hmm. you're crazy about me and, and you want me to to be filled with all of that and who you are mm-hmm. and then express that love to mm-hmm. the world. Right? Exactly. Yes. What does it mean? You can yeah. know these things, but what, what does it yeah. mean? <laughs> what is it? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. What does it, what does it look like? Mm-hmm. What does it look like? Um, you know, 10 years after my abortion, <laughs> it's funny. I, I really thought that because I had had this crazy mountaintop experience with God on the bed in my bedroom that night when I was 18. Um, 
that I needed no more. Like that was it. Like I've been forgiven. Mm. I have been forgiven mm. and I, 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 I'm good. I'm good to go. But I was taught, I, I wanted to volunteer at a crisis pregnancy center because I wanted to, I wanted women to, I wanted to counsel them away from abortion if they were in a crisis pregnancy, or I wanted to do post-abortion counseling mm-hmm. after they'd had an abortion because I'd experienced both, mm-hmm. um, post-abortion and th- contemplating abortion. And the, the woman at the crisis pregnancy center, she said, Lisa, I, you need to go through this post-abortion counseling before you do that. I'm like, no, you know, you, you need to experience it. And I'm like, no, I don't. I'm good. I know the forgiveness of God. What more is there to know? Because right. this whole love thing we were talking about, like yeah. I didn't understand that yeah. until until later, until after, and until in my until re- more recently, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but so she's saying this to me, and she said to me when we were on the phone, she goes, and we were trying to get pregnant at the time, Marcus mm. and I, and we couldn't get pregnant. Mm. I didn't believe that it was a punishment from God. I just we just weren't getting pregnant. Um, and she said, I would hate for you to one day hold your baby in your arms in the hospital, and think. How did I ever give this up and have, and not have dealt with those feelings, yeah. you know, to feel guilt, to feel sadness, to feel grief in the, mi- in the middle of holding your child in your arms. And she said that and I started just bawling. Mm. <laughs> and I went into this post-abortion counseling and that, that was a whole nother level of the love of God that I didn't know that I needed. I thought, like I said, I've been forgiven. What more is there? But there was so much more that God wanted to share with me and 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 reveal to me and allow me to grieve. Because what I had realized as I went through this is that, Allison, I had buried all these feelings. Like, you know, you're a mom. And so any kind of connection to this child, uh-uh. I'm not even going to feel it. I'm not going to think about it. I'm going to get rid of my problem. Mm-hmm. But I have a baby. But I didn't think about that. Like, you know, so so all of these feelings that I had buried that I didn't even know were there, mm. unearthed yeah. in that safe, um, but very challenging environment for me. Like the Lord, the Lord sh- showed me things about himself and me and his love for life um, <laughs> that I had never even contemplated. Um, he revealed to me the name and the gender mm. of the baby. Mm. which is a key part in any kind of post-abortion counseling that you go mm. through that's faith-based. Um, and her name is Christine. Mm. <laughs> and it's just, it's just so, it's so, it was, I, I, I remember when God just, I just had that impression on my heart. Like mm. it wasn't that I saw the name. So I just like, God just gave that <laughs> to me and that's her name. And I'm going to see it one day. I'm going to see Christine one day, you know, but the clincher at the very end of this post-abortion counseling was when we, on the very last day, we were to dedicate our children um, into the arms of God. And we were at this dedication ceremony. And Christine's name was called. And I had my little white rose. Mm. And I walk up to the little makeshift altar, like this table. And I pick up her certificate of life. And in its place, I placed the white rose. And I sat back down next to Marcus, who had, who knows my whole story. And, you know, you know I think about him sometimes, like, he really had to have some strength, like to, to know that what what had happened in my past, and yeah. and th- and then to love and support me in healing. Right. You know, like sure. so. I'm sitting next to him, and I'm I'm just I close my eyes. I'm just crying, thanking God for all that He'd shown me and revealed to me about Himself, and and my eyes are closed, Allison, and I saw this this picture in my mind of this little girl. She was about ten years old. And she had long, dark brown hair like mine. She was in a white dress. I saw her from behind. I didn't see her face. I saw her from behind. Um, She was barefoot. This little dress came right past her knees. And I knew I was seeing Christine. I knew it was her right in front of me. And she reaches up her hand. (laughs) And standing next to her was Jesus, who reaches down his hand and takes her hand in his and together he walks and she skips and they disappear out of my sight. And the Lord says to my heart, I've got her. Mm. What a beautiful way to end, you know, and, and I've got her now go now. I've got her now no longer grieve. I've got her now no longer feel shame. Don't feel guilty because 
you've experienced my love and my forgiveness. And now I want you to go and I want you to tell people about what I've done so that maybe they just might believe that I could do this for them too. Right. Right. Yes. I will tell of your works. Yeah. And I think that's what, that's what God wants for us. Like he wants, he wants to, he does these crazy things in our lives and, and heals us and restores us and redeems us and sets us free so that other people can hear about it. But they, but we have to, bravely step off the diving board right to to share about those hard things so that people can see what he's done exactly oh my goodness you know Mm. i'm not it it is amazing to me the things that we don't even think to ask for like we can't i can't even dream that i can't even i can't fathom you healing something in such a beautiful way um you know you take something ugly like this this moral failure you know right, and you right. and not only do you heal it but you then make it beautiful yes <laughs> i mean it's yes. absolutely unfathomable yeah you know to think about the the gruesomeness of the cross what is the cross without this resurrection absolutely. this is oh. and and then all of it together just becomes stunning yeah I mean, it's just what he does. He is in the business of redemption. And I think we can't do that, right? Like, I can't bring the dead back to life. Christ redeems us by accomplishing what we simply could not ever do. I mean, that is just really what it's all about. (laughs) Isn't that so, like, isn't that so cool? You know, this holy God that desperately, deeply wants relationship with us. You know, it's not... I feel like it's not shocking to me that Jesus is the only way. I feel like there are some circles that you can say that in and, you know, Uh (laughs) okay, good. Jesus is the only way, but that's not what's shocking to me. What's shocking to me is that he made a way at all. You know, when you think about Mm. just how depraved we are as people, just how desperately needy we are as people, how useless we are on our own. Yeah. You know, that he made a way for us at all. Right. It's just so, it's just so kind and generous and his grace being sufficient and all of these things. But then to make it as crushingly beautiful as it is, Mm. I mean, it's just the, his work is, I feel like he has, you know how artists have signatures at the bottom. It's like every now and then you'll hear a story and you're like, oh, that's God. Oh, God did that. You know, it's like you start to kind of recognize his brushstroke or whatever, right? you know, but like, this is such a story of God. Oh, it's, and it's so fun to talk about because Mm. I have found when, when I share it, people don't do what I was afraid they were going to do and be like, oh my gosh, what were you thinking? Like, what, why did you have sex before marriage? Or why did you have an abortion? You know, people go, how good is God. Look at God's signature. Look at his mm-hmm. brush strokes. Look at look at what he's what he's done and and he gets glory, right? So what the enemy wanted to use to destroy me, right? God uses in to to glorify himself and like you're saying in a more beautiful way than we could have right. ever imagined. And right. then you're like, "But me, you want to do that through me?" Mm-hmm. Like it just makes you realize, just fall in love with God all yes. over again when you think about it. Using our sins as our glory stories is the Lord's like final, I want to use a bad word, his final backhand <laughs> to Satan. Yes. <laughs> yes. Watch this. Uh, oh. Watch this. You thought you I had her then? You did? That. You thought you oh, had her? I love that. Watch this. Oh. <laughs> I just, I love it. I love it when God does that. You know, like my, our kids talk about, you know, it's, you know, kicking Satan in the face. We talk about very violent to Satan. <laughs> We're very violent. We hate him. We don't use the word hate, but we hate Satan. We want to kick him in the face, slap him in the face. We really empower like the warrior to our boys. You and your boys. I love it. (laughs) Well, thank you, Lisa Lloyd. I just, death by itself has no victory at all, but Mm. all of this resurrection and the ways that he's using you there. I love um, racing alongside of you. And I love kind of like putting my spirit fingers, your direction, like look over here, you guys look over here because you, you have such an honest voice. You are absolutely in this for all the right reasons. I feel like, you know, this whole, you know, Christian celebrity thing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, it's, it's a, it's a tricky thing and you are just running your race so authentically. You are exactly who you say you are. And I just am so proud to be your sister. Oh my gosh, girl. Same. I love you to death. Thank you for being like 
so, like, so, such a great cheerleader mm. of mine. Like, it's just so easy. Oh, well, <laughs> you, you are an amazing friend. So, I love you. I love you. This is awesome. And now, a word from our sponsors. Hustle 3. You guys, I'm so excited about this. With five kids and a jillion activities to get them to, I don't have time to add a private baseball lesson into the mix, but my newest sponsor, Hustle 3, has come to the rescue. With a very reasonably priced monthly subscription service, all I have to do is take a video of my son hitting a baseball on my phone and then load it up to Hustle3.com, where an expert coach breaks down his swing frame by frame and gives him drills to work on that are specific to his needs. A few weeks later, I upload another video and the training continues. I can stop the subscription at any time and then restart it once the next season's here again. If my son ever decides to start pitching, I'm going to be using Hustle3.com to get him expert instruction from, get this, a former Major League Baseball pitcher. Where else could I get my son access to this kind of training on my time with no driving around town and at an affordable price? I don't know much about baseball mechanics, but evidently, that's what he's learning. The drills teach him muscle memory patterns that don't just get him better, but help him to avoid injury down the road. I'm going to be a member of Hustle 3 community for years to come, and you should too. So if you think you might be interested, head over to Hustle3.com. Give it a try yourself. My best friend and I certainly don't have all the answers, but that's never stopped us when it comes to matters of the heart from trying to comprehend, evaluate, analyze, apply, and synthesize. Wait, is that Bloom's taxonomy? I knew we were onto something. This is me, my best friend Kristen, and your questions. Hi, Beefy. So a couple of months ago, I got a long letter um, in my Center Saint Sister email, and it was from a listener, and she wasn't asking a question as much as she was just asking for prayers. Her daughter had an abortion. Um, she's young, 19 or 20, and her life has just kind of seemed to fall apart in the aftermath. Uh, she's lost a ton of weight, and she's depressed, oh and she's gosh. not going to classes anymore, and um, so I have been praying for her, and if there was a question, which there wasn't, but if there was a question, the only thing that I would say is just point to Lisa Lloyd yes. and her beautiful story of redemption and hope. That she so generously shares. Yes. So thank you, Lisa, um, for all that you're doing for young people that you may never, ever, ever know about. Um, one thing that came up during mine and Lisa's conversation was, was sex talked about in your home? And she was very quick to give a no. And as you may notice, like last episode, I am just, I feel so a very recent but strong conviction that sex is something we need to be talking about differently. Yes, absolutely. How did your mom talk to you about sex? Well, there was a little room for improvement, I would say now, as a 40-year-old. Um, I think... Oh, I know, with the best of intentions of trying to um, trying to show me how important it was to handle with care and weight and um, just respect. She and 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 to make it like an approachable subject, it was like joked about regularly, but it was like, mm -hmm. that's all boys want. You don't want to do that. That's you know, mm -hmm. you don't want to just just. It was a negative thing. Yeah. It was a fear-based thing. Mm -hmm. And so um, a fear-based conversation. Um, her fear. Her fear and then instilling fear and then in me. Wanting you to fear it too. Right. Um, but think about even how we handle it educationally. Like in our schools, it's like, and here are the diseases. Right. And, yeah, you know, I mean, so I, I feel like the conversations that we are currently having about sex are, are just that. They are right. fear-based. Right. And so... Well, and it's interesting to think about, you know, it was effective the way that she talked about it in that moment. Like, mm -hmm. I did not have a baby before I meant to. Um, perhaps a healthier conversation or a more well-rounded conversation um, from the very beginning 
um, would have served me better in my adult time. And it's just something that I pray about and think about how, what pieces I want to take from my mom's best of intentions, um, to pass along to my kids and how I want to change it up and talk about things differently. I am just convinced that if we could have this conversation about sex, not as something to be feared, something to be shameful of, something to stay away from, and instead we talked about it as this beautiful, mystical, intimate gift, then I think people would handle it more reverently. We would just be less likely to use and abuse it. We wouldn't use it desperately. We wouldn't use it recreationally. Um, We wouldn't hide it. Right. Yes. Yeah. I just, I think that it takes, because we know how our parents feel about it so strongly, you know, (laughs) it's so bad. Um, I think that we do hide it and then it takes some really sinister turns. Right. Instead of don't do it because it's harmful right now, don't do it because it's beautiful and it's going to be so great mm-hmm. in a second. Mm-hmm. Well, I have an opinion about that too, because I do feel like the message that we get is don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And then on your wedding day, it's going to be awesome. And it's like, we <laughs> we just echoed throughout yeah. the neighborhood. Um, but... I, I feel like we are taught how to parent. We're taught how to balance our checkbooks. We're taught how to measure a parallelogram. Wow, wow. <laughs> not. I don't, I don't know. Um, but we're not taught how to have sex. <laughs> you know, like huh. this is so avoided. And, like, and the expectation is that you're going to say I do and you're going to be a pro at sex. And oh, it's going to be yeah. awesome. It's going to yeah. be wondrous. Just you wait. And it's like, okay, no. wait. Yeah. Just think that so many things need to change around this topic. And I'm pretty sure there are legit statistics about countries that are more comfortable with this topic and teen pregnancy and huh. STDs and, you know, right. and, 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 and. So anyways, you watch a lot of Teen Mom. BP. I'm not sure I want all the people to know that. <laughs> I do. I do. You have a heart for... I do. Yeah. Right? It's such a... I'll tune in. I'll tune in. All right. I love you, Beef. Love you. Bye. I've never met anyone like Mary. Well... Technically, I've never met Mary. You see, we're internet friends, but don't let that fool you. This internet connection runs deep. Mary is so many things all at the same time. With one sentence, she can make me laugh, cry, think, and deeply, deeply feel. There's just something about Mary. You'll see. I have a secret. Sometimes I time travel, and sometimes I read minds. Well, mind. One mind, my own. And the only way I time travel is backward, to my wedding day. We've had a picture of us, my husband and me, hanging on the wall in our foyer for years. More than 25 years ago, decked out in our best with hair done and family all around us, a photographer captured our sincere smiles, our young faces, our love, hope, trust, and optimism. Like many things on the walls, it often fades into the background, part of the familiar daily scenery. But once in a while, it will catch my eye, and I'll pretend it's a window, and ask younger me, if you could see this moment we're in, right now, what would you think? What would you think about your future? I ask that through the portal on many nights, walking and walking and walking the crying babies, sometimes crying with them. I ask that rolling a suitcase to the door, ready to fly back to Michigan to sit in waiting during a second parent's hospice journey in under a year. In times like those, I say to that fresh face, you don't have any idea what's coming, you naive little thing. Other times I've been hanging decorations for my daughter's wedding, opening the door to find neighbor kids asking mine to come out and play, or waking up on Christmas morning giddy because all of my kids are back under one roof. Then I say, your dreams are so small compared to what's waiting for you. You are in for so many breathtaking surprises. I'm so glad that frame isn't two-way, that wedding day me doesn't have a snapshot of the future, not even a great one like Christmas morning. Each of those snapshots is such a tiny moment of living, and while it can bring back a flood of memories, it can't capture the motion. We can't live in a snapshot no matter how perfect, how beautifully planned and posed. 
It's the motion that gives life meaning. The agony, the glory. It's the movement in between that gives them meaning. That's where life happens. That's where redemption happens. That's where God sneaks in and holds our hand, even when we don't notice. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. Dear God, we come to you with all that we are, just as we are. And we love you. We love you because you loved us first. Thank you for the invitation to live in you and have you live in us. Redeem us, God, and restore us to a right relationship with you. Give us the farsightedness to see. Increase our eternal vision so that we can look at our lives with eyes like yours and know that you simply aren't finished yet. Our only job, God, is to show up and surrender. So please, we ask you to increase our trust. And please, God, we ask you to have mercy. Thank you for the redeeming work of our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord unto me. And for this episode, a special thank you to Lisa Lloyd, Marcus Lloyd, Hustle 3, Kristen Kelly, Mary Bishop, Pamela Anthony Cutright, and Chen Redfield for music. Be sure to send us your questions at sinnersaintsister at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at Allison M. Sully and Facebook at Allison M. Sullivan. For more of Mary's writings, check out madeforordinarytime.wordpress.com. Don't forget the mini episode for extras, and please, please, please like and subscribe.